Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr. Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Hello and welcome to the Newcastle Natter. My name is Fergus Craig and I'm joined by Paul Doolan. Hello. And Dave Watson. Big D is back. Big D. I got the big D. <laughs> big D energy. I'm trying to get that nickname to stick at home, but my wife's not having it. She's not, not going to call me. It would be weird D. if she did. If she really went all in. I think it's a great idea, Big D. <laughs> you wouldn't, I think... Out in public, you'd be like, you stop calling me it now. I, I regret this. She calls you Big D in front of your son. <laughs> she won't. She won't call me. I call myself it in front of my son, and uh, she gives me a look which says maybe I shouldn't do that. I feel like it's got sexual connotations. I think you're putting that on the nickname because Big D, my name is Dave. And I'm six foot tall and about 14 stone. So I'm a He's big lad. Tall, Dave. I'm six foot tall, yeah. Oh. I don't present as six foot tall because I'm quite shy and reserved in, in person. So people think of me as smaller, but yeah, six foot tall. Here's a, how would tall would you say I am, Dave? Uh, in my head, you're about five. 10, 5'11". That's about 5'11". 5'11". 
I, I once got very upset to find out that a friend of many years thought I was five six. <laughs> I mean, you're definitely not five six. Yeah, but it says it says a lot about their perception of you. <laughs> and even though it's an innocent mistake, it's insulting. It was I'm, a- I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I would say that Paul's the shortest of us. I'd stick him yeah. at about five eight. Five, five ten. Fuck off with you, five that? eight. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> well, we're not talking about five eight. We're not talking about five ten. We're talking about three nil and two three. <laughs> Those are the <laughs> two most recent scores for. Newcastle United Football Club uh, since uh, our last uh, podcast record. Uh, it's a shame we couldn't do one uh, straight after the Sunderland game because we actually won that one. And it did feel like uh, a break from the misery and a, a, it felt like a fun day, didn't it, Paul? It did. I think nobody made it feel more fun than Sunderland Football Club themselves, (laughs) who went out of their way to make every element perfect, including sticking to passing out from the back with an almost religious zeal in in the face of events showing that it was a bad idea. All the stuff in the build up with the Sunderland bar for the Newcastle fans and put it up posters against themselves they all their young players that were getting talked up shitting themselves the own goal the sending off it just had everything it was great there was so much chat about Job Bellingham before the game wasn't there Dave there was and you know it's a shame that he didn't make an appearance because uh, I was told that, you know, Joe Bellingham was, you know, following in his, his big brother's footsteps. And I was told that this, um, they've got a, a Luke 9 would would dominate our midfield and snap into tackles. And I was told that, um, what's his name? I can't remember. Pritchard would, um, would cause us no end of problems. But end of the day... It was a, it's a, they're a mid table side in the championship and it was a thoroughly professional, comfortable performance by a side that is top half of the Premier League, even with injuries. That we didn't, we didn't get drawn into their, um, like they, they tried to make it into a scrap. They tried to make it, um, like the derbies that we may, might remember from, you know, the 90s and thousands. Like, but we just didn't. It, it was a thoroughly professional job. If if the if that was against Ipswich or someone like that, nobody would have battled an eye. Um, it was so comfortable in the end. I was not confident at all. We had lost seven of the last eight. You could say we're a top premiership side. We definitely mm. were not playing like a top trip premiership side at that point in time. We had lost seven of the last eight pretty much every season, even in good times. We go out in the third round of the FA Cup to a lower league side. We were away at Sunderland, who we tend to lose against. 
I I had not that written that down in my head as a victory. So I was very pleased to see us win so comfortably. And uh, I mean, I could, before the game, I thought it could have been like a, we could have drawn the game, and even during the first like I don't know ten fifteen minutes, I was still I had the nerves. But just as the the half wore on, and like Paul says, they kept playing out from the back, and we kept causing them no end of problems by doing them, but you know by picking them up on that. I just became more comfortable and more comfortable, and then it just, I began to enjoy it. Alexander Izak got himself two goals in that game, and he got himself a goal on Saturday against Manchester City. He has scored in, uh, he scored four goals, uh, he scored five goals in the last four games. He scored in each of those games. It's nice to see, if even if generally we are not getting the results. It's nice to see uh, we have one player who is playing, who, who is really on form. Well, I think he's fit I now think we've got as couple. well. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've got, like, yeah, it's good that he's back fit. And I think um, he's playing with confidence that you get from scoring goals. But I think we've actually got a few players who are in good form the trouble is we've got so many players out injured that those players in good form by the 80th minute are absolutely knackered. And that's where... I mean, yeah, I shouldn't have said that one player in the tone I said it. I was trying to be positive. I was trying to lead into, let's talk about how good Isak is, but of course I put a negative spin on it. And now you're having to defend the squad. So I'm sorry for that. <laughs> I should have said is, isn't Isak playing well? <laughs> I think he's right. There's only Haaland, I would say, is a better striker in the Premier League at the minute. I think it's hard to make a case for anyone else. And Haaland hasn't played for a month. No. So that's not classing Salah as a striker, more as like a wide forward. Yeah. I I think as a as a focal striker. Oh, yeah, because I think Watkins is kind of he's not showing the form that he had at the beginning of the season. And I think while Solanke is having the best season of his career, the quality is not up there with with, with Isak. Isak is looking like he's going to end up at Real Madrid or somewhere. He, sort yeah, of, Isak looks he looks like even though we're like, growing, we'll struggle to hold on to him. He's got that hmm. higher ceiling. and he's. I'm excited to see what he does for the rest of this season. So if he can stay fit, I think he's going to get... Over twenty goals for the season. He scored yeah, a very, he, he scored a very good goal against City, didn't he? Beautiful, really, really well taken finish. And he, he had, was, you know, had how, many, how many goals has he scored this season? Was that going to be yeah, a, in the Premier he's League? Up to ten now. He scored ten in the Premier League. Yeah. So it's not bad going. Yeah, he I, he could get twenty. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be disappointed if he only ended up with like fifteen. But he could get he could get twenty. Well, he wasn't starting all the games either, was he? No, so. I think I think what I like about him is that he is he's quick. He's got great feet. He's, he is a really good finisher, strong enough. But the thing that marks him above all of that, like his best characteristic, is how fucking cool under pressure that kid is. Mm. 
he just he doesn't seem phased. Like the the penalty against um, against Sunderland and the 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 chances that he takes in the league, like the chance against Man City, he just looks so cool, so calm. He just doesn't seem phased by the pressure that he's under. He's like the anti Shola Amiobi. <laughs> Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he seems, one. Yeah, he seems. And this is not me um, casting aspersions on Sharami Obi's intelligence, but he seems a very bright guy. He's like mm. know, something about him. He's just, he's just classy. He could be a CEO. He could be a CEO of a major corporation. That's the <laughs> He's going to have to do both the podcast, the Diary of a CEO and High Performance Podcast. Whoa. The, the, real, the double bill of world's most boring people. <laughs> so the, ga- the game against Manchester City, uh, what did you think about that game, Paul? I'll, I'll leave it open for you. I mean, it was one of the best games of the season and it was a proper, enjoyable head-to-head between two very good teams with five amazing goals and we were involved in it. I think if you'd said that a few years ago, you'd have snapped your hand off for that. I know there's a bit of negativity on X, formerly known as Twitter, over it, but then there's negativity over everything on there. I thought we looked close to back to our best. We've still got a few of the recent failings because, like Dave says, we've not got the depth and even if if one team's going to wear you down when you've not got subs to bring on, it's going to be Man City. They can just recycle the ball and keep it. And we looked mentally and physically knackered by the end. But we also looked brilliant for a lot of it. The two goals, Gordon, I think, has to go to the World Cup with England. Isaac looks like he's getting back on the trajectory people thought he was going to have when he signed for Dortmund. The World Cup's in three years, so I think it's a bit early to be signed. Oh, the Euros then. You know, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was it was a very good goal from Gordon. It's, and I haven't seen him do that for a little while, little while so that was really nice to see. But um, they, they are the best team in Europe, or certainly one of them, right? They're the best team in the world. Uh, yeah. Manchester City. Uh, I mean, have you seen every every team in the Saudi league? Yes. It's my favourite league. Um, um, they are, whatever's going on, they're a lot further ahead than us in their development and probably further ahead than we will ever be legally allowed to get to. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll come to that in the second half. We'll get there in 2055, don't worry. Maybe. Yeah. But um, we did, even if uh, the possession stats weren't competitive, the game was, right, Dave? Yeah, I mean, it was two, diff- two different setups, two different styles. Um, I think both made the other look better, if, if you follow my reasoning. It, it's like, because they were pushing so far up and they were um, trying to play these intricate passes that, that they can do, that they were leaving so much space behind for our, our better better players to, to get into the 
into those pockets of space and, and um, you know, uh, take advantage of the high line. Um, and I think because we were sitting deep, they were allowed to play quite nice football. And because they were sitting so high, we were allowed to hit them on that beautiful counter attack. Um, it was a really enjoyable game to watch, like really thrilling. I, I can't remember what I sent. I can't repeat what I said in the, the WhatsApp. I can't like get frame it in my mind, but it was basically, it was, you know, heart in the mouth, gut wrenching, really fucking enjoyable, loving it every minute of it. And at the end of the day, as Paul says, they're the best team in the world. And on they were able to bring back Kevin De Bruyne, who's arguably one of the best world midfielders in on the planet. They were able to bring him back for 20 minutes. And in that 20 minutes, he changed the game. We right. could bring on Lewis Hall for about 15, 20 minutes, and he barely had a touch. That was the and thing. They were they were two one. We were two one ahead, and then they brought on Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah, I think I said in the WhatsApp group that now he's on. I fully expect that now that Kevin De Bruyne is on, I fully expect to concede two goals in quick succession. And while it wasn't quick succession, he scored one and set up the other. He's he's a phenomenal player. Yeah, I think sometimes as well you look at games. And you think, well, you can't just say they brought on De Bruyne and that changed it because that oversimplifies it. But it really was that simple. He's just, he's a different level we couldn't cope with. We were too tired to have the shape to cope with it. Or we just, I don't know, we gave him all the space he could have wished for as well. But I think, I think I'd be giving him space if I'd been running around trying to get the ball off Man City for 80 odd minutes. Plus, they were also able to bring on a fictional player in Oscar Bob, who doesn't exist. It's not Football a thing. manager can regen them. Yeah. But the, the, the pass that he played for Bob, which sounds ridiculous, like, I, I can't think of a player in the Premier League who sees that pass and has the ability to, to execute it. And I thought the finish from Oscar Bob was. Oh, um, the quick, yeah. quick yeah. feet was ridiculous. I mean, I've been hearing a lot about people, you know, some journalists who watch a lot of football saying, like, just wait for Oscar Bob. He's, like, ridiculously talented. Just yeah. wait for Oscar Bob. He's coming. Get to, get to bed. <laughs> get to bed or Oscar Bob won't come. He does sound like a sort of something from Germanic folklore. Oh, he like sounds that. like something from League of um, the League of Gentlemen. <laughs> I was br- brush your bad. teeth, children, or Oscar Bob will come. <laughs> I was listening to them preview uh, the game on uh, Five Live, and uh, they did they were did make some astute predictions. They were sort of saying about Newcastle. They were they were sympathi- sympathizing with us over uh, our injury situation and how difficult that has been. But they were also saying we've also been a little bit found out since last season in the sense that a lot of teams have been playing a lot deeper against us and there hasn't been the space for our players to run into. And they're saying one thing about Man City is they're not going to change the way they play and they are going to be able to find that space, Newcastle. And we did, and that's how we got those two goals and, and we're able to have some threat. But the reason Manchester City had the confidence to do that is because they know that they are uh, leagues above us in terms of 
quality. I think the other thing they exploited, I mean, the... which is part of us being found out, and Forrest did it the same as well with Morgan Gibbs White, is if you put someone between our back line of four and that midfield three in the final 20 minutes, Bruno will be too far up the pitch and you will have the... I thought that was something we would have worked on a lot more, protecting the back four, but it just seems Bruno doesn't have the positional discipline to stay in there. And Miley and Longstaff don't seem particularly able to do it either. No. no. So we're, I think that... Let's have a break and we'll talk about what our solution to that could be, whether we can somehow find a way of solving that in the transfer market. And I'm sure there'll be some things to talk about, about FFP and all of that after the break. So uh, we'll be back in a moment. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Newcastle Natter. We come back with sad news. Sad news that you already know because you're listening to this in the future. We have just found out that, uh, according to Luke Edwards, everyone, every Newcastle fan's favourite journalist for a long time, and that's never changed, uh, apparently uh, Joe Linton is out for the season. When you consider how many other injuries we have, that's not good news, is it, guys? Not really. No. One position where, well... Striker as well will be bad. But we seem to have a lot of depth in centre midfield, but we've never been able to use it because there's always at least three of them out. Mm. I think it's the, the biggest loss is what Joe Linton brought to, brings to the team is something that nobody else of that um, cadre of central midfielders brings to the team. His physicality, his like, his engine, and all of those like terms to describe a big fucking bastard. Nobody else has got that. Like Longstaff, God bless him, he's willing and he's got, you know, a good amount of ability for the Premier League, and he's he's decent. He's not physically imposing like Joe Linton is. Willick is physical in a different way. He's dynamic. He runs with the ball. He's a goal threat, but he's not the tough tackler that Joe Linton is. Miley, again, not what Joe Linton is. We don't have a like-for-like replacement, whereas in that other number eight role, we've got lots of options. Like We can play, we can slightly change the system to to fit uh, a midfield three of Joe Linton, Bruno plus Willick, Longstaff, Miley, or when he's back, Tonali, we can move things around. But Joe Linton is a huge, huge miss. He has been very important for us, hasn't he? Which is so fucking weird that, like, a couple of years ago, I mean, we, we've said it so many times, I'm not going to 
break overall goals, but yeah. it's so mental how important he is now. He's also missed plenty of games. I sort of think for the rest of the season, once Willock's back, I think we can manage with Bruno Longstaff and Willock, yeah. with Anderson and Miley competing. It's not perfect. But again, if we had, you sort of think the start of next season, we'll have Tonali, we'll have Jalinton, we'll have all these other ones. Well, hopefully. I mean, the other thing you might have thought if uh, you only, if you, if you weren't following football properly, you might have thought, well, aren't we the richest club in the world now? Can't we solve this problem easily? But we can't, can we, Dave? And why is that? Because of the PSR rules in this country, where you're allowed to make a £105 million loss each, like over a three year period. Um, you can only improve your squad by, I think it's like uh, the wages by like 10%. Each year, um, you, your ability to spend is linked inexorably to your commercial revenue which for clubs who have ambition, they can't match the clubs who are already part of the established elite. So it's a rigged system that means that despite the fact we are in no danger of um, administration or bankruptcy or anything like that, which is what FFP was brought into to like protect clubs from bad owners making bad decisions and ruining the future of the club. We're in no danger of that, yet we can't just spend the money that our, our owners have got. Now, we can get into a bigger debate about that when you like, but I think that right now, Newcastle are saying we can't spend money and we can't make this these big splashes. I think... That might be true, and we might also be able to address the immediate issues in our squad by spending more than we would have liked to this window. So let's talk a little bit more about FFP before um, we talk about how we might be able to uh, address things potentially and who we might be able to get in potentially. But it, I wonder whether it's a bit like VAR, as in it's like, I don't know. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? Is this was maybe it was maybe it was a conspiracy all along, and maybe maybe there is some truth to that. The idea that it is deliberately rigged uh, is certainly in effect. It is true that um, a side effect of PF uh, of FP, FFP, and maybe it was the intention all along, is that the clubs who are at the very top get to remain at the very top. And it's very hard to break into that, no matter how rich you are, because you can only spend money very slowly. But, mm. I mean, Paul, it was sort of brought in for... Uh, you could make a case that it was needed, or something like it was needed. Yeah, I think it was It was needed because of how toothless the owners and directors test was as well, though. that You could have people ruining clubs and being completely financially irresponsible with them. The other thing that feels, I think we're, we're more minded as a fan base to think this is incredibly unfair 
I'm sure not every team feels exactly the same. I'm sure Man City don't feel the same, for one. But I think the, the part of it that is genuinely unfair, I think I sent this to you in the WhatsApp after the game, but Kieran Maguire, the football journalist, made a very good point. Which was, I'll read it out. If Premier League PSR limits had risen in line with football inflation since 2013, here I'm using wages, but revenues are similar, clubs could lose up to 218 million over three years. So that's instead of the 100 million. So it's not just that it protects the clubs at the top. It's not risen in line with football inflation. So clubs that have had the money to grow since 2013 have been hamstrung more than the clubs already at the top in addition to that. So we're sort of doubly punished. Yeah. And one thing to consider is that one of the ways that you can um, expand your FFP envelope where you can can have a bit more wriggle room is by selling your best players for, you know, for big money. And that's how you get a little bit more because you make that profit and you get wages off the books. And then the new players that you buy in, amortized over the length of the contract so you can balance your books nicely who do they think are buying those best players from those middling clubs it's the teams at the very top so the teams at the very top get to cherry pick the very best players from these clubs who are trying to to grow and the only way they can grow is by selling their players so they have to like brighton have to sell moises caicedo and McAllister and, and these 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 really talented footballers so that they can, you know, get from ninth to eighth, from eighth to seventh. And and it, it's going to take Brighton so long and they're going to have to get like four transfers out of five absolutely right just to keep that slow progress going. Yeah. And they, they can't, they can't like, have a big splurge one window and buy like four or five 30 million pound players because the risk is too great. I think the thing that makes a mockery of it as well is that, like you say, the recruitment needs to be so spot on that if we sold Bruno, we'd have to buy the next Bruno to keep up with Man U who have been run like a circus mm. transfer wise for the last, they can go off and sign hundred million pound players that come to nothing we need to get 30 40 50 million pound players that have to double their value at least but then uh just to play a bit of devil's advocate but then brighton if we were able to spend whatever we liked then a club like brighton could look at us and go well that's not fair either so i 100 percent agree that there should be some kind of limit on what the rich clubs and rich club doesn't mean necessarily mean elite but the rich clubs can spend. I think right. that should be for like for for sporting fairness. I think it should be linked to debt. Personally, I think you shouldn't be allowed to spend an awful lot of money when you're at, when you're still servicing all this debt. And I think it should be linked to to like. I mean, if you look at the the European thing, it's um, the European FFP is. 70% of your revenue you can spend on um, wages and player transfers. So if your revenue is 100 million, you can spend 70 million just for ease. Now, I, th- I think that's fair because if, if a club's like not 
if a club's not making money, it shouldn't be allowed to spend money. It shouldn't like mortgage itself into to, you know to to debt. But I also think that um, the to get around like the the risk of us buying you know spending a billion pound on players, which our owners could afford to do reportedly to get around that, then yeah, there should be some kind of like upper limit for for any club. You're only allowed, to, like any club in the Premier League is only allowed to spend, what, £120 million on players a season or in a window or something like that. Like have that cap and just have it a blanket. So but they have a lot of, uh, uh, in a lot of American sports, they have salary caps, don't they? The only issue with the salary cap is that it, it only works in a closed system. The minute the Premier League brings in a salary cap, everybody fucks off to La Liga. Yeah. Um, so if you have just like a spend cap for transfer fees, you can, you know, like other leagues would be in favour because we couldn't just go off and sign, you know, Man City couldn't just trot off and go and get like, I don't know, Jude Bellingham for 250 million if they so desired. You know, there's a there's a there's a price cap that you're allowed to spend per season on your team, which means the very best clubs can only make a few signings a year. So they have to get those signings right because they're buying 80, 90 million pound players that have to work out rather than whereas the, the clubs that in the middle of the table, like Aston Villa, for example, they could spend they could sign three forty million pound players, and players further down the low could spend ten ten million pound players. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. Well, I think as well, FFP makes the league easier to predict who's going to win. Like our team of the mid nineties couldn't have happened with FFP. It's harder to challenge whoever's at the top in that system too. It just what's weird. It feels like there is a sea change coming as well. It. I feel like I've read a lot more in the press now against FFP in a way that felt before it was, people were quite happy with it. Now it seems to just be the Guardian who are happy with it because they're the Guardian. But whatever the solution is to it, even if it's well-meaning, could easily just create a whole new problem. Do you know what I mean? Like it's... Yeah, but it never lasts forever either. Like Chelsea under Abramovich, they didn't stay top of the league for 10 years or so. No. And we like, can't sort of ignore what football ownership has become. You can't and try and legislate against what's already come out of the box. You might as well All have I'm... a competitive system rather than just protect Man City. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I kept like nearly jumping in. But... You're all right, Dave. It's, it's FFP. Tempers are going to get high. The, 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 the problem I have is that Money has always, well, for for as long as like football's been an established professional outfit, money's always been there and been the the, the dictator of who wins. Because you, you can go all the way back to like like before Man U suddenly got loads of money and before Liverpool had loads of money, go back to like Arsenal in the God, like I think it was in the fifties maybe. And before that, like Sunderland were referred to as the Bank of England club. There are, if you had a rich owner, you could buy success. So that's always been the case. 
the issue that people have with it now is that the the wealth now is so like the wealth gap is now much bigger than it's ever been between the the very rich owners and the owners of like a normal football club that it's just staggeringly different there has to be some kind of cap to what these clubs including ourselves can spend but the way it is now it's protectionist it's like these new rules about oh it's going to be fair market value nobody gave a shit about fair market value when mike ashley was sponsoring our stadium for nothing nobody cared nobody cared about related companies when he was plastering the St. James's Park with Sports Direct adverts and Flannels adverts and, and House of Fraser adverts and stuff. Nobody give a shit because it wasn't to our benefit. So the idea that this is some kind of, I don't know, like moral high ground, oh, we can't do that because it's not fair. That's that's not what it's about. It's a, They're saying we don't want to do this because Newcastle will become a global superpower if we allow well, them to... The rules were brought in before, well before we were taken over, weren't they? The the rules about FFP, but I'm talking about these new rules about like related parties, because it didn't impact Everton oh, when yeah. Yeah. They, their, their training ground was sponsored for £12 million a year, which is more than um, Fun 8-8 were paying for our front of shirt sponsors like two seasons ago. The fact so, is we, I think when when the takeover happened, we all, we had a lot of uh, to varying degrees. We went through a lot of moral hand wringing or whatever the phrase is about it. But we all agreed that whatever happened, eventually, it was going to lead to us winning things. Mm-hmm. And I think now that we're coming up against this, you wonder. Maybe it won't. I think it still will. I don't mind it. The good thing about FFP in this instance is it it slows down our ascent, which means it's going to be a more fun journey getting there. Because I think last season when we qualified for the Champions League, it was great, but part of me was like, this is happening a bit too quickly here. Mm. The journey is the fun bit. I don't want to be Man City yet. So I think... Slow it down. That we're still on an upward trajectory. Last season we finished above that upward line. This season we'll probably finish below it, but we're still going the direction of travel's still right. Yeah. I I would also say that had we not suffered the injury list that we endured, nobody would give a toss about FFP in this window. It wouldn't be such a big question. So, okay, that's an. I'm sure FFP will come up again. So, uh, let's leave that conversation for now because we could go on forever. But I'm mm-hmm. sure it'll come up again. Uh, but it's possible that we might be able to do something. The player who's been mentioned all transfer window is uh, Calvin Phillips on loan. The latest I heard was that, uh, we were saying that the deal is too expensive for us. And I would have thought now that Joe Linton is out for the season, Man City aren't likely to be putting that price down. Any thoughts on that, on the likelihood of it happening, if you would like him to come in? 
I'd, I'd love Calvin Phillips to, to join Newcastle. I think and it could just be in my head, but he is what we could have done with in the summer window. That kind of like defensive midfield, physical, like I was saying about Joe Linton, but who is he's not as attack minded as Joe Linton. So I think like a Calvin Phillips sitting behind Bruno plus a n other, it, it changes it changes this the side. Now that we don't have Nick Pope in goal, that need for a defensive midfielder for me is is God. It's just exploded in in, in importance because where with Pope we were playing ten yards further up, the gap that we the, the gap that existed was between the defence and the goalkeeper, but Pope was so good as, as playing in that sweeper keeper role that it it wasn't a it wasn't a necessarily a weakness. It was just like that's where the only bit of like of um, the only chink in the armour is. Where now we're playing like just outside of the edge of our box, and so when our midfield goes forward. That's where the gap exists, and that is way more dangerous to us than when it's, you know, Nick Pope sweeping up. Do you think we might get him? If not him, somebody in his mould. I think he's, I'm 70% sure we will, but if not him, we'll go off and get somebody else like him. It feels like brinksmanship at the moment. Like, Newcastle, again, according to Luke Edwards, so we're dropping out of the deal in the current terms because they want a loan with a seven million pound loan fee, and I think they want an option to buy as well. And I don't think that makes. We're now a club that thinks long and medium term, and financially that makes absolutely no sense doing that deal. I would rather we try and struggle through with the midfielders we've got to then be in a stronger position in summer. I Do don't you know think what? I don't think we're irresponsible enough to just go, well, we might we might need him for five games. So I mean as well, realistically, the amount of time Phillips has been out, it could take him seven or eight games to get up to speed. How much are you going to get out of him? You're essentially going to be paying a million pounds a game for the fee before you've even done the wages. One thing I was thinking, maybe this is a theory that doesn't actually hold any water but i was wondering one of the reasons lewis hall might not be playing very much is that is it part of his uh that his option to buy clause or obligation to buy clause is it we have to buy him if he makes a certain number of starts and eddie howe has not been impressed enough to think I definitely want to give you all those starts and then have to spend 30 million quid on you. I think this has been raised before. From what I remember reading, there are terms in his deal, but it's more about the club than him. It's not linked to his appearances or anything. So I think we, I think he is our player long term. I think it's just he's not up to speed with how we play, but I think he's and probably that- going to get a few games in midfield soon. Yeah, that that is a concern to me because he's been at the club for a long time now, and he's still 
he's getting cameo appearances at the end of games. He's not featuring a lot. Like like Lewis Miley has gone from an academy prospect to starting games against PSG and starting games against Man City and start like Lewis when Lewis Hall had arrived. Lewis Miley yeah. had just got his GCSE results, basically. The thing this with is... Lewis Hall, though, we signed him... It seems like we signed him as a left-back, and he isn't quite a specialist left-back yet. And we're still trying to get him up to that level. I think Dan Byrne showed against Man City. Now he is fit. He is back up to speed. I think it's... I think if he was more of a specialist central midfielder, he would have got more game time. But I do agree. It seems nuts that Lewis Miley was able to get in ahead of him. But then mm. Lewis Miley, I mean, he's gone off the boil a little bit now because he's been played so much, but Lewis Miley looks like a very special prospect. Yeah. And look, it could just be that, because I mean, Anthony Gordon took six months and uh, a summer break to really hit the ground. As a, as a Newcastle player, yeah. So perhaps Lewis Hall does just need a bit more time, and you know, I, I shouldn't be too hard on him. And, and and Anthony Gordon already had quite a lot of Premier League starts. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think to to get back to the Calvin Phillips conversation, um, I think had Hall been up to speed by now then no I don't think we'd go off and sign um, Calvin Phillips I don't think we'd or in a, in a, we wouldn't go off and sign him in a deal that didn't make sense to us I think with Joel Linton out for the season Lewis Miley being a 17 year old kid Sean Longstaff being mid-table Bruno being what one yellow card two yellow cards away from another ban one yellow card away from a two game ban one yellow card away from the two-game ban, and Lewis Hall not being up to up up to speed. Yeah, I could see us going off and signing him because the difference between finishing like eighth and finishing twelfth is huge. Not just for the the you know the five million ten or was it five six million that we'd miss out on, but from like league position, but also just the the, the apparent stall in momentum. Mm. Apparently the club uh, still very much want us to qualify for Europe in some, some shape or form. I, I don't see how we can. I, like genuinely, I don't think we, with with the news of Joe Linton, I don't think we can unless we go off and sign someone of the calibre of, of Calvin Phillips or his ilk. I think we can. I think if you look... A lot of our problems this season has come down to, as well as the injury crisis, is not having time on the training pitch and not having a week between games. I feel like the energy levels in the Sunderland and Man City games showed what we can do with a week between games. All right, we lost against Man City, but we've pretty much got that till the end of the season now. Our hardest away game is Villa, which is the next game. I think we'll go on a run like we always seem to do in the second half of the season, sort of seven, eight wins in a row. I could see us finishing six. And we've still got the cup as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
So um, I think we should start to draw things to a close. There'll be much more to talk about uh, when we're next uh, recording the podcast. Probably about seven games. <laughs> um, uh, we, we're about to have a, a little winter, winter break. Is there any, I, I don't know, Is there talk? are we going to Saudi or something? Is that what's going on? Uh, last I heard was that Eddie Howe was quite keen for us to stay in Newcastle and like, get you know, just focus on training, focus on getting people fit. Because uh, you never know, by the end of this um, mini break, we might have Joe Willock, Harvey Barnes, potentially Jacob Murphy, and the outside chance of Elliot Anderson back. Ooh, Jacob Murphy. Going to win the league. Oh, I've missed him. I've missed Jacob Murphy. Honestly, yeah. the thought of having Harvey Barnes back with with Joe Willock back is is really exciting to me because Anthony Gordon is is brilliant, but he can't run ninety minutes every game, and he he's you know he's really really struggling. And Joe Willock, I really really like Joe Willock. I love watching him play, and I think he is one of those players that had he been fit this season, we would be in fifth or sixth position. Yeah. Like had he been available, we'd been fifth or sixth because he would have turned games that because I think we've conceded like ten goals after the eightieth minute in like in however many games. And I think having someone like Joe Willock on the bench to take advantage of stretch, uh, you know, when the game stretched, tired legs, he is he's fucking brilliant. Just Him think back to that assist last season. Oh, for Isaac yeah. against Spurs. Yeah. And I think he and Isaac have got a good understanding. Yeah. I'm just really I'm kind of excited about the second half of the season, but also it's sort of win-win. Because if we don't finish in the European spots, I think you then add three or four league places to what we can do next season. Look at Spurs this season. Like they've had an injury crisis and they're still up there because they've not had Europe. You've yeah. got time to actually train for every game. You have genuine like squad competition. I think if we don't have Europe next season, then we'll definitely finish top four. Why don't we just do and that? One year top four, one year off. One year yeah. top, one year off. Just do that for a while. Yeah. And then we'll have um, the Adidas money and other things coming in. We'll, the money, yeah. We'll and we'll have more. more commercial partners. Our commercial revenue will grow. And we'll have a much, like, you know, touch wood. If we don't have the same injury crisis, we'll have a much, mm. much deeper squad. We'll have, like, six central midfielders of Premier League quality. We'll have Tino Livramento, Trippier. Tonali. Tonali will have... We're on the up. I think let's just enjoy the little downs like this because they're going to be fewer and fewer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah take the time to smell the shit. I don't, I don't want to smell the shit. Just smell... I was going to, you know... Do, do you understand what I was saying? I think, well, I, yeah, I agree. I think we should take the time to smell the shit and enjoy the bad bits. Yeah, but I, would, I wouldn't have chosen shit. I would have said... Enjoy the rain for the rainbow that follows. Wow. Well, no, they're two great sayings. I think the phrase you're looking for is take the time to smell the shit. <laughs> 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 take 
I oh. didn't know the, the name of the podcast. That so much more poetic. For yeah, me. it's actually quite moving. Uh, no. All right. Um, let's uh, end things there. I don't think there's much point re- predicting uh, future results. It's Fulham next, isn't it? It's Fulham Fulham the which would be in years gone by. Uh, we'd have been there because that was always the, an easy, a pretty easy fixture for London-based Newcastle fans to get tickets for. But if you're a season ticket holder who can't go, and would like to donate your tickets to us. I don't think we'd get, get in with you. I think we'd get. Wouldn't we get turned away? We'll just have. We'll do a face-off. Have our faces changed. It's fine. Okay, yeah, we'll do you that. You go as John Travolta, or I'll go as Nicolas Cage. They were both covered. If you're a um, a season ticket holder... With our faces. Yeah, if you're three, in touch. You are three Newcastle United season ticket holders who think that the three of you look like us. Thing is, I reckon I could pull off looking like more people from the Newcastle crowd than you two could. Yeah. Yeah, you're more like a Guess Who character. Yeah. Yeah. I've just got one of them faces. I think a steward would just look at you and just go, Geordie, let him in. <laughs> oh, big D. Whereas I'm turning up with my bowler hat. <laughs> Your monocle. On a penny farthing. Oscar Wilde poking out of my suit jacket. I'm here for the soccer. Let me in. <laughs> Goodness sake. There's bloody Geordies everywhere. Oh, you're with the home fans. Welcome to the room. (laughs) You'd be handed a little hamper sent off there. Don't worry, it's screwed up, darling. Just get in. (laughs) They're from the north, so it's no corkscrews today. Just uh, enjoy the game. It's been a few years since I've been to Craven Cottage. Yeah, I, I rang up the ticket office for the last time we played them. Uh, they quite rightly pointed out I've been I've only been to watch Fulham, the club I claim to support, when they play Newcastle. <laughs> I was like, yeah, all right, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> they got rid of their neutral end, which is a shame. That was always fun. Yeah. And they're charging forty quid a ticket for an FA Cup game, seven PM Saturday night. This is why I think you might be might have more chance of getting a ticket. Well, I'm a member, so if it does, it's still on season tickets. But if it goes down to membership, I'll definitely try. Yeah, maybe you just... go in together in one big coat <laughs> and stacked on top of each other. You're only, you're only five. <laughs> I think we'd be able to get tickets in the home end quite easily. Yeah, I'd be up for that. It's not ideal, but I don't mind. Yeah. It's not exactly going to boot off in Fulham, is it? Oh, I don't know. Mm, yeah. They have some sharp baguettes in their hampers. They can afford, they can afford the coke to get them G'd up. <laughs> With this, this glass of Riesling, it's incredibly sharp. <laughs> All right. Okay, let's leave it there. It's been a pleasure... Uh, to um, be in a Zoom with you guys. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, yeah, guys, 
I'm crumbling. Thank he's you. Got, he's gone Fulham. He's gone but, very Fulham. Uh, uh, thank you very much, uh, Paul Toulon. Thank you. Thank you, Dave Watson. Thank you. Thank you to you, the Newcastle Natter listener. My name is Fergus Craig. Goodbye! Sports Social Podcast Network.